came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. So many things are happening. Tuesday is election day. Which way is our city going? Which way is our country going? We have a great show. We have Governor Ed Rendell to give us his opinions on what's going on nationally. Uh, Congressman Peter King, Governor David Patterson, Governor McGreevy from New Jersey, what's going on? Melissa DeRosa about her new book. And Carolyn Hirsch, a lot of things going on in our city. Let's start with Michael Stoller first and what's going on in real estate. Good morning. This is Mike Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning I have my friend Rick Feld, who is the CEO and founder of BevMac Office Centers. Happy you're here. It's very good to be here, Mike. Thank you. So explain to my audience what is the flexible office space business, because people hear of WeWork and the industrious, and they're not familiar with it. Flex, the flex, this is the new nom de guerre as of the last five years or so. Co-working was really more of the WeWork model with long picnic tables and people sitting side by side, you know, working maybe opposite a stranger. The flex business, the flex business centers are more of the traditional office space, but with very flexible terms. We provide internet, we provide telephone, conference rooms, etc. Now, under the flex concept, do you have an office? Do you have a table? Do you have a, a quiet area? In BevMax, we're the more traditional brand similar to Regis, and we are primarily private offices with some cubicles. But the majority of our clients are much more mature businesses who want, they, they come to the office to work. They need conference rooms, they need some common areas for them to gather and to mingle, cafes, etc. But at the end of the day, they, they need an office and they need to be able to work. Has COVID had an effect on the business? Yeah. Um, so I, COVID, in an odd way, was very good for our business and not so good for the co-working business. With COVID, people you know, don't so much want to work with strangers at picnic tables. They want to be in their own private space and with the ability to close a door. The company Axios recently came out with a report saying that the future is relatively bright for the flexible office workspace sector as a whole, and for co-working like IWG and Industrious, who have strong balance sheets and see business on the upswing. Enormous number of customers are moving out of long-term space into flexible office arrangements. So even though Industrious is a flexible co-working situation, they're, they're, they're changing their model also, right? Well, Industrious, they started the management agreement. So what Industrious does primarily is they go into a management agreement with the owner of the building. 
So it's not the old model of signing a 10-year lease and fitting it out and then leasing space. They're actually partners with the landlords in, in their buildings. So they're financial partners with the landlords? Financial partners to the extent that they, they pay either a much reduced rent or they're splitting the profits from the center in a, you know, in a certain manner. Has that been a mantra of the industry in the past when you went into the business? It, 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 it wasn't as much a mantra because landlords, I think, were, were in a different position, you know, give or take five years ago. Post-COVID and with the work-from-home you know, phenomenon, landlords are much more amicable to that kind of relationship. Now, with regard to that, wouldn't you say that people are not working five days a week from the office? So are they utilizing less space that they would have on a flex space or a co-working? That's the, um, that's the million-dollar question. And I don't think anybody has actually truly figured that out. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, our, our office centers are absolutely packed. Mondays and Fridays, I would say it's maybe 50% of, of the other, of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And yet, and, and you as a New Yorker know this as well, the city is packed. People are here, and I, I think it's the work-from-home phenomenon is not disappearing, you know, the genie is out of the bottle and it's staying. There was another study that which shows that major co-working space owners and managers are conscientiously moving away from the original notion of neutral space occupied by freelance workers who seek the benefits of community collaboration. The expansion of large commercial flex providers has been driven by a decline in commercial clients taking out traditional leases on office space. You agree? W- we're about as busy as we've ever been. I think a lot of it has to do with when my children were young and I would go to a nursery school um, party and I would tell the other parents what I did. You know, they'd kind of, you know, they'd scratch their heads and say, oh, you know, I, I think I have, a, I have a cousin who was in one of those places. Um, there's nobody who doesn't know about our model now. And it's not looked down upon. In fact, I think, you know, the majority of people think it's, it's a, a smart move to have flexibility, especially in these kind of economic times. So in conclusion, it looks like the, the business that you started 23 years ago is going to continue and even grow in the future based on the way people are working from home and other mantras. And I, and I really would like to thank Rick Feld for being here today on the Stoller Real Estate Report. See you next week. Mike, thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! 
with fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. With us today is uh, former Governor Ed Rendell. Also, he was the DNC chairman. We got an update uh, before, Governor, on what's going on in the GOP. But I figured we have to find out what's going on in the Democratic Party, too. So can you give us an update of what you think is going on? Uh, You know, uh, President Biden has said he wants to run for election. All of a sudden, last week... Uh, they had the vice president on 60 Minutes uh, trying to enhance her image. I mean, what's your gut feeling? What do you think? Well, here's, here's the way I think it shapes up, uh, John. There is nervousness among the donors and some of the elected officials that Joe Biden won't be able to, won't be a strong candidate because of the doubts that Americans have about his health. And those doubts have been expressed in the polls. That's number one. Number two, there were some doubts that he would make it through a four-year term. And then there are doubts about what type of president uh, Kamala Harris would be. Although she's done better lately, and I think she's improved her overall image. But there are doubts. But the interesting thing is, although Americans, when they're polled, there's something like 70 percent of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run for a second term um, because they're afraid of himself. If you ask them the second question, if it's Joe Biden running against Donald Trump, who would you vote for? They're almost unanimous that they'd vote for Joe Biden. And it makes sense because Joe Biden has done a very good job as president. He's done a great job in foreign affairs. He rallied NATO and put it into a cohesive force like nobody has been able to do in years. He's had a a great role in leading the fight to help Ukraine hold its own with Russia. Uh, He's just been a very good uh, president in foreign affairs. And domestically, he's passed more legislation, uh, really serious legislation that attacks our problems than anybody in recent time. So I think Joe Biden will run, can win, and will win especially if the candidate is Donald Trump. One of the biggest problems the Democrats have is the open borders. I mean, uh, why hasn't uh, President Biden uh, worked harder on uh, uh, on getting better control? I mean, we all believe in immigration, uh, but uh, we want to have a little bit of checks and balances so we don't get any terrorists uh, across. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that uh, they're intending to do something about. If you noticed in this bill that uh, the Democrats are pushing in the Senate, which would give money to Ukraine, money to Israel, it's also giving substantial money to the border to bulk up our security on the border. Billions of dollars included in that bill. It isn't as well known as the fact that Israel and uh, Ukraine are going to get money, but there's significant money in that for strengthening the border. I think everyone agrees that has to be done. There's no question about it. We have to take the appropriate action there. What else would you like to tell the American people on this Sunday morning about uh, which way the world is going? I mean, I understand the 
the Jewish population is very, very upset. And the Jewish population was traditionally mostly Democrats. Right. It's, it's funny. <laughs> the Jewish population is upset. And the Muslim American population is upset. So it's a neat trick if you can do it. Uh, but I think uh, Joe Biden has done the right thing. He came out strongly for Israel. He has emphasized that Israel has a right to seek the destruction of Hamas because Hamas has said in its charter that it exists for one thing, to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And Hamas, just Thursday, Hamas came out with a statement saying they intend to do what they did on October 7th again and again and again. So Israel has no choice but to try to decimate them and put them out of business once and for all. So that's uh, the first part of it. He's been strong for Israel. But on the other hand, he wants Israel to to give opportunity for life-saving supplies, food, water, uh, some fuel, medical supplies, to get into Gaza so that the innocent Palestinians who aren't uh, part of this battle can uh, have the supplies they need to survive. Uh, Of course, we should know two things about this, John. Number one is I asked people who were so upset about Israel killing the innocent Palestinian citizens in their effort to take Hamas out. I said, if uh, Hamas hadn't invaded Israel on October 7th, and killed 1,400 Israeli citizens, how many Palestinians would have lost their lives? None. None. Because Israel had no reason to go in, hadn't gone in to Gaza. There was peace for for over 15 years. Right. So Hamas is to blame for those Palestinians who are there. You're Jewish, too. And the way, the way I heard it, and I wonder if you have a reaction to it, was that Saudi Arabia was about to make peace with Israel. Uh, right. And Saudi being uh, Sunnis and the Shiites being Iran, or vice versa, I forget. Iran panicked when, the Sunni, when, when Saudi Arabia was going to make peace with Israel, and they pressed the Hamas button. I'm sure that's true. The timing was it leads you to only one conclusion. That was to upset the apple cart to, to stop Israel and Saudi Arabia from coming together, and it succeeded. At least it succeeded t- for temporary. Uh, yes. Um, but there's no question uh, that uh, Hamas uh, was to blame. And uh, it's amazing to me how people forget that. Israel wouldn't have hurt one Palestinian had Hamas not come in and butchered it. Savagely. Agreed. Agreed. No, and no I believe, I, I don't want to run out of time, but I have to say this. I believe, and I've been told by certain intelligence people, that certain people in Iran, whoever is the, the bin Laden of 2023, paid $10,000 a family for 10,000 Hamas killers to go in there and kill, kill, kill. And the $10,000 for 10,000 Hamas killers is only $100 million which is chump change for uh, an oil company. Right, no question about it. And uh, I think we should all remember this. When people start, you know, rallying against Israel, um, Israel didn't want this fight. They didn't want to hurt anybody. And by the way, I think they've done well. If the uh, citizens of, of Gaza had listened 
to Israel and taken the first two weeks there was virtually no uh, killing and they, they could have all gone to the north and avoided uh, I mean to the south and avoided uh, being in the line of fire Understood. And we, we yes. would have had a lot of less people 100% Governor Rendell thank you for coming on and we'll catch up with you again real soon I hope we have peace in the world because we need it and one thing we should do John is press the Israelis once this is over to get a two-state solution once and for all. Governor Riddell, we'll talk again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Congressman Peter King. Congressman, right now, people are more concerned now than ever, ever before. What keeps you up at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, Congressman? I'll tell you, uh, and you're right, I was in Congress for many years. There's different crises along the way. But I think right now we're almost seeing like a battle for Western civilization or for the Judeo-Christian ethic. And uh, what Israel, the war that Israel has right now against Hamas and Hezbollah or orchestrated by Iran, that is serious enough in itself, really. But to me, it's almost a symbol of what can happen if Israel does not win that war? The world is being divided, and it almost it's a classic example between good and bad. There's not two sides to this issue. I mean, what Hamas did in Israel was so brutal and violent and ugly and inhumane, and yet we see tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people all over the world demonstrating against Israel. And we see in our own country here, the universities, the students. I was born during World War II. I don't remember World War II, but I've certainly read about it. And I don't know of ever having demonstrations in the streets, certainly after Pearl Harbor and after the war started with the United States, of people, uh, Americans in large numbers, in any way demonstrating on behalf of Hitler or Japan. No one was calling for a ceasefire after Pearl Harbor. Uh, you didn't find universities. In fact, people were leaving universities to volunteer to fight in the Army and the Navy and the Marine Corps. Yet today, the universities seems overwhelmingly pro-Palestinian and really pro-Hamas. To be pro-Palestinian in this war is to be pro-Hamas. And to be pro-Hamas is to be pro-Iran. And Iran basically wants to take over the world, and they want to do whatever they have to do to get it done, to take away the rights of, of women, of Christians, of Jews, certainly, of what they would consider to be non-believing Muslims. It's a theocratic, ugly movement, and yet uh, all over the world, people are, uh, whether they realize it or not, or whether they fully understand it or not, they uh, you have hundreds of thousands and millions of people demonstrating on behalf of what Iran stands for, uh, which is, to me, really end Western civilization as it is. When you see in the United Nations how you know, few countries really are standing by Israel. I think a lot of them privately want to, but they're afraid to come out publicly and say it. Or in the universities, what's happening to our, our schools? Uh, even when you see Jewish organizations coming out, again, being pro-Palestinian, which in the end is pro-Hamas. Uh, when I'm you trying, see, yeah. when you were in Congress, I'm trying to understand it. Uh, and I was with uh, President Clinton the other night, and he says mm -hmm. he tried very hard to make peace in the Middle East between Palestine in Israel. What the heck is going on? I mean, and you were closer to it than, than anybody in Congress. Uh, President Clinton, uh, he says he was very frustrated over it because he couldn't make heads and tails. Uh, both sides very stubborn, and there's, there's no 
peace to be had? They just want to be enemies? No, I think uh, that Israel, from what I've seen, uh, what I saw when I was in Congress, especially during that period when President Clinton was there, that Israel, they were tough negotiators, but in the end, they basically were willing to give whatever President Clinton put on the table. I'm talking about in 2000 and the fall of 2000. Bill Clinton met with Arafat, and then I guess it was Ehud Barak at Camp David. And they met, and they met, and at the end, Barak agreed to what was on the table. Arafat said he couldn't. And, and yet Arafat was getting 97% of what he asked for when he came to the table. And what it came down to was he never really wanted to have peace. And if he did, he knew the Palestinian, the Palestinian people would not, and he could not deliver. So I, I remember actually Bill Clinton, the President Clinton, I was talking to him on the phone about a month after he was out of office, and he was in a very reflective mood. We were talking about Northern Ireland. We were talking about Bosnia. We were talking about uh, all that he had gone through. But he said his biggest disappointment by far was the Palestinian rejection of the agreement. He said that, that he, he said the same thing the other night. Well, that's now. So we're talking about now 22 years later, and that shows how that is in his mind. So it wasn't just a temporary thing he told me at the time. If he said that to you just the other night, that's 22 years after he said the exact same thing to me. So that shows the impression he had. And Bill Clinton was. Uh, you know, he had all sorts of controversies going from every angle, and he was involved in so many issues around the world. And the fact that that one issue remains foremost in his mind shows just how frustrated he was, how disappointed he was, and really angry. I mean, that was one of the few times I saw him really angry because he always felt that, you know, two parties are going to negotiate, you're going to fight hard. He understood that. But when you are about to shake hands on a deal that everyone said they wanted, and one guy reneged, and, it, and he knew the consequences he could bring to the world. Because that can bring down the entire world. We could have a nuclear war emerging out of there. And no, listen, Israel, again, they're tough negotiators, but you know they, they agreed to Oslo. They met at the White House lawn to shake hands. They uh, Rabin ended up losing his life because some of the hardcore Israelis, he was assassinated because they thought he was giving up too much. And then you have uh, his uh, one of his successes, Ehud Barak. Uh, he, he worked a deal that Yahoo, who was obviously a very tough guy, but he... Uh, with President Trump signed agreements with three or four Arab nations to actually come in close to agreement with Saudi Arabia. But no, the Palestinians are being urged by Iran, being supported by Iran, being orchestrated by Iran. They uh, don't want peace. They hate Jews. They hate and Jews. But, but I think being... here's what I learned uh, uh, a few days ago from some of our, my intelligence friends is that mm -hmm. the fact was there may be 10,000 Hamas that were paid $10,000 a piece and given machine guns to go have a good time. And 10,000 Hamas are $10,000 a piece to give to their families. That's only $100 million. That's chump change for the Iranians. They, they make that in a few hours in the oil business. So, I mean, if there's, if there's a million uh, Palestinians and 10,000 are creating the hate, I, I, I just don't know anymore. You know, I scratch my head. I got a bald spot from all the scratching. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, the Palestinian people did elect Hamas. And, uh, well, I, do you, I, again, you think they had a choice? I don't know. You know, the West Bank is, you know, not Hamas. Uh, Gaza is probably, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of arm-twisting, heavy-handed tactics. I mean, Hamas is a brutal, vicious organization. But in the end... Yeah, Hitler led Germany, Mussolini led Italy, yeah. Tojo led, led Japan. and uh, But Israel was fighting for survival. And if Israel goes down, 
we could all go down because if uh, Israel goes down, and, and, and the other thing I was told, Congressman, and we're almost running out of time, is that Iran pushed the button with Hamas because they were afraid Saudi Arabia is going to align themselves with Israel, and it's the old Sunni and uh, uh, situation. Shiite, yeah. Shiite and Sunni. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. that's why they pressed the button with Hamas. Hey, and it's cheap, a hundred, a hundred million bucks, ten thousand of them, ten thousand dollars each. Yeah, which, which is used as Trump change. I mean, uh, Trump. And, yeah. they're, and they're selling so much oil now since the basically the embargo has been lifted. Certainly cut back. Uh, they they make that in a matter of minutes, so that's, yeah. that's nothing to them. No, Congressman, I think we have to keep story. our eyes open. We have to keep our eyes open and realize that what the the situation is. And uh, I listen. If, if Bill Clinton, who's the smartest guy I know, uh, didn't find a solution 22 years ago, I'm not sure there is a solution. And the, the story is what what happens then? Yeah, it's, uh, and until then, we have to make sure that Israel. Israel wins, or at least wins wins this this part of the war, and not give to the demonstrators out in the streets, which is really scary. The, the, the reappearance of anti-Semitism at this level is also very very worrisome. Congressman King, I'll see you on Monday, and uh, God bless oh, yeah. you, and God bless America. Let's hope, let's pray for the best. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us this Sunday morning is uh, Governor David Patterson, and we have an election on Tuesday, the city council, 51 out of 51 seats. Uh, Governor Patterson, Sunday morning, what are you thinking? Are we going to have a safer New York City, or it's the same old stuff? Well, the 51 seats that are being contested on Tuesday, eight of them, are uncontested. So it's really only 43 seats. And I tend to think in these situations, there are two council members, one Republican, one Democrat, who are running against each other in the same district because of the redistricting. That should be a very close race. But I think in most of these races, the incumbent wins. Do you think, I mean, we only got 17%, maybe even less uh, uh, turnout in the past. I know a lot of our hosts are up saying you should get out to vote and vote for uh, candidates that are pro-police versus defunding the police because we need a safer New York. Do you think people are thinking about that at least? You know, we're in the, the off year of off years. It's not only not a presidential year, it's not a gubernatorial year, and it's not a mayor's election year. So this is a year, the year, be, uh, you know, 2023, um, next year we'll have a presidential year. I I don't think the public focuses as much on um, on those races as at other points. So I I don't expect a major change uh, after Tuesday. Is there any common sense left in the, in our city? I mean, what what do you think? I mean, uh, uh, there's so many investigations going on. I know that. Uh, 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 the FBI uh, the other day uh, uh, went after uh, one of uh, Mayor Adams' uh, uh, people that raised money, and, and there's always something going on. Uh, what do you worry about at yeah, 3 o'clock in the morning? A, we, we both love our city. And that's a serious situation, John, because for the FBI to go into that property, they had to have a warrant. To have a warrant, they had to have evidence that convinced the judge 
that it was necessary to go in there. So we'll be keeping an eye on on uh, that situation. And what I would say about common sense is that it seems to be in lesser quantity than it's been for a while. What I've been worrying about as we continue to try to fathom what went on just five weeks ago now when Hamas attacked Israel is that it is very clear that Hamas did not have the number of fighters, nor did they have the weaponry to cause that kind of damage. So it had to come from somewhere. And my belief is that it came from Iran. Now, I'm a Democrat, and I vote for the Democratic candidates. I voted for President Obama. I voted for President Biden. But I cannot understand why they continue to think that if you keep giving Iran billions of dollars, you'll get like three hostages back, and then your friendly neighbor in Israel attack. It's really outrageous that this is going on right before our very eyes, that we still won't even mention Iran in a sentence about how to retaliate in this uh, particular situation. And I think we owe it to ourselves, because if this is what they can do to Israel, or if this is what Russia does in the Ukraine, you think they're going to stop? No, they're not going to stop. And And when you hear people talk, they sound like Richard Chamberlain when he came back from the meeting with with Hitler in 1937, and he said, I bring you peace. It was the most vapid statement anyone ever heard, and the Germans waited about five minutes and then started attacking everybody. And I see this kind of repeating itself. John F. Kennedy was also a Democrat. I don't think he would have let it go this far if he was uh, someone like him was in office. Uh, Governor, there seems to be so much hate I'm not used to it. I mean, there's hate between the Israelis and the Palestinians. There, there was hate uh, between the Irish and the British, but I, I think President Clinton took care of that at that point. Used to be more so on the uh, on the Greeks and the the Turkish people, but I don't think it's as much as it used to be. I think business people are business people. How do we solve these problems? John, I've been, well, maybe President Clinton needs to come back because I've been scratching my head. I just did not know that there was this much rage fomenting in the city to attack a people verbally after they were attacked physically. And in addition, the, the, the people don't really understand what's been going on in, in the Middle East. And But these um, student demonstrations, and then when you hear the students talk, you, it's clear you can see why they're demonstrating, because they haven't spent enough time in the classroom reading about these situations. And I'm not saying that Israel's always right. President Nixon had problems with Israel. President Clinton himself had trouble at some point and didn't uh, approve of, of what they were doing in certain situations. However, how do you attack someone and then 50 countries go on record telling the, the, the victim to restrain from responding? And I think that it gives you an example of how much emotion is ruling the world and how much people are allowing themselves to be co-opted, really, by a lot of information that is virulently false. I've been told it was 10,000 Hamas terrorists that were paid for $10,000 apiece. And, and that's only $100 million. So we're looking for the bin Laden of 2023. Who did the paying? Well, I'll tell you what. The bad news is there are plenty of members of Hawass 
of Hamas that would have executed those bombs and attacked another country and destroyed a concert full of people who were just there to hear music, they'd have done it for free. That is how much their religion has been twisted into this antagonistic and acrimonious way that, that they act. But I still feel that if we're really going to take on this situation, that the go to the source, it's Iran. And I'll tell you what, they, as we've learned from our guests on Cats at Night, Iran was producing about 400,000 gallons of oil every day, and now it's up to nearly four billion, four million. And a day, which is $2 billion in cash a week. Exactly. And now it's uh, going to further allow them to find and to subjugate organizations that do what they would like to do. But meanwhile, they go to the the UN and act all uh, emboldened as if they're the ones who no one's treating correctly. The Iranian Foreign Legion, otherwise known as Hamas or Hezbollah, somebody is supplying the money. There's a bin Laden of 2023, and I look to our, like I said to other people today, I look to our intelligence agencies to come out with who is paying the money, and hopefully we'll find out. Governor Patterson, thank you so much uh, for your input this Sunday morning, and let's pray that we have uh, more peace and tranquility in New York City. Well, John, I certainly hope so, and thanks for having me on. With us today is former Governor James McGreevy of New Jersey. And there's so many things happening. There's so many races coming up this Tuesday on Election Day in New Jersey. And we need an uh, a update of what the heck is going on. Uh, Governor McGreevy, there's a lot of elections coming up this Tuesday. Uh, which way is it going? What are people concerned about? My number one concern, I think, got, got fixed the whales, they're killing our whales, and I understand that windmill company has left town. What say you? Yeah, no, no. The the windmill company's pulled out, John, and so that that construction project will probably, for the foreseeable future, be put on ice, and so that that won't be a concern. Um, but yeah, the the the, fi- the finances were such that. The company was unable to move forward, and they announced to the state of New Jersey, although there's significant liability on their part in the sum of $300-plus million that they have committed to the state. But for the foreseeable future, there won't be the windmills. And so... um, We save a lot of whales. Uh, I don't know how you feel about the whales, Jim McGreevy, but I I love whales. And, And those windmills, in my opinion, my opinion... They weren't contributing enough electricity to, 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 to do the environmental stuff that's going to hurt our, uh, our whales and hurt our birds, et cetera, et cetera. Just my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, John, people brought up the concerns both in terms of the whales and the migration and the aesthetics of looking at the windmills offshore. The countervailing you know, point of view was that the fact of jobs, and 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 what it would mean in terms of increased power to the grid. But clearly, Orsted, the company in question, couldn't make it work. And so that for the foreseeable future, I think it's it's on ice and that won't be an issue. But in, in terms of the New Jersey, you know, New Jersey elections, uh, the entire state Senate 
the entire General Assembly, the entirety of the New Jersey legislature is up for election this November. And these issues are, you know, sort of the perennial issues that are New Jersey elections, whether it's property taxes, uh, which is always a concern. I think the strength of the economy and um, also, you know, education, et cetera. So I think, you know, in terms of, of the legislature, they move forward with the anchor program, which is providing for property tax relief to homeowners and renters. And I think that's a small measure, uh, but significant measure will help assist uh, homeowners to, to, to grapple with property taxes. So I think in, it's most likely that there will not be any significant changes in Republicans or Democrats on that side of the, in terms of the state legislature. Understood. Um, what else is going on in New Jersey that you're concerned about? And there's a rumor around that you might announce that you, you're going to run for mayor of one of our major cities in Jersey. Well, John, you know, it's just after a lot of thought and and I just appreciate it. It's, you know, I, I loved being mayor of, of Woodbridge and coming home to Jersey City where my parents grew up, where my grandfather came and where I was born, you know, sort of being in Jersey City. And after a decade of doing reentry work with guys and gals coming back from prison and jail and addiction treatment, it's... Um, I'm on the verge, in fact, of, of, of making a significant announcement in my life. And it's, it's, it's about, John, as I often say, it's walking down the hill. You know, it's at this point in your life, God willing, doing the right things for the right reasons. And seeing a town, seeing a city that's, that's had, had a boon, but obviously making sure that there's balanced development and there are areas of, of congestion and there are areas where there needs to be if you will, a greater attention to the nuts and bolts, to the basics. And so I think in any enterprise or any city where you have this period of growth, there's a period after which you have to sort of come in and make sure things are buttoned up and things are running well. And, um, you know, that would be my goal, to be that guy, to make sure that the streets are well paved, well lit, do my best to control property taxes so that the city's affordable, um, expand the opportunity for apprenticeship training for not everybody's going to go to college. Not everybody's going to go to university. I know what we do with guys coming out of, out of prison, you know, whether it's HVAC or CDL or general construction or for the gals, many of which get into phlebotomy, taking blood. Those are good jobs, high wages. I so just have one question. Training. Governor, Governor. Sure. I call you Governor McGreevy now. If you won the mayor's race, do I call you mayor or do I call you governor? Call me Jim. Call me late for dinner. Jim. But, John, you know, it's just the level of government where you can get stuff done. And, you know, I was at a, I was at a town meeting the other night at uh, St. Anne's in the Heights on J- John F. Kennedy. And, um, you know, and just listening to people's give and take. And it was just, you know, these are concerns. People want to live in the community. They want to raise their kids there. And it's, you know, it's the concerns. But you can really make a difference one street, one neighborhood at a time. And so, God willing, if you get the right team, 
that would be a, a really worthy goal at this point in my life. Jim McGreevy, thank you so much. And uh, we, you're, John, you're and one I'm good guy. On you, I'm counting on you for the Greek vote. You got it. I'm, I'll, I'll move to New Jersey and vote often. Vote early and often, as Governor Byrne would say. Thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. All right. Thanks, my friend. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Melissa DeRosa, one of the most powerful women in uh, New York in Albany. She was uh, secretary to uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, and nobody could talk to Andrew Cuomo unless she went through uh, Melissa DeRosa first. She has a book that I understand is selling like wildfire, and one of the most successful book openings I've ever seen. All the stars were there. Melissa DeRosa, congratulations on your new book. Tell us about it. Thank you so much, John. I'm really excited about it. So my new book, which is called What's Left Unsaid, it came out um, in the middle of last week, chronicles essentially the last two years of the Cuomo administration. So it takes readers through the pandemic. It takes readers through scandal, through the undoing of the administration, and then ultimately what we learned on the other side when we were out of government and and a number of eye-popping revelations about the investigation that took down the governor and raises serious questions, as the Law Journal put it, around how that investigation was done. And so I think it's something that everyday New Yorkers and the American public in general will find fascinating and and is definitely worth their time. Uh, And the name of the book is What's Left Unsaid. Uh, And tell people, I've seen pictures of your grand opening book party. Tell us all the stars that were there. Uh, the book party, which was hosted by my dear friend Jane Rosenthal, who for your listeners and business partners with Robert De Niro, they formed the Tribeca Film Festival after 9-11. So real New Yorkers through and through. Um, and then, you know, a number of a number of great stars turned out to celebrate the book, which was exciting. Katie Holmes was there. Alec Baldwin and Hilaria Baldwin were there. Governor Cuomo was there. His sister Maria um, and then we had some really good friends of ours who are top aides to Eric Adams and others, a number of people from Hollywood and the book publishing industry. So it was a very exciting night. Um, and it seems like there's a lot of excitement around the book. So, you know, happy about that. That sounds good. And, and the one uh, book party I went to uh, uh, was my good day because I got to see uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo's mother, who I've known for many, 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 many years. And she looked healthy and she looked good. And you two share a birthday, right, John? We're both Virgos, and we used to celebrate like all Virgos together until uh, very uh, lately when COVID hit. I guess uh, that felt, we stopped doing it when COVID hit. Yeah, well, a lot of things stopped when COVID hit. but yeah. And I think, you know, COVID was a crazy time. It changed our lives, all of us permanently, some for the better, some for the worse. Um, but the book really delves into the behind the scenes of what was going on with COVID, our conversation, my conversations with Jared Kushner, the governor's back and forth with President Trump, how decisions were being made, who was in the room, 
what was going on. And, you know, John, even though it wasn't all that long ago, it feels like an eternity ago. I think people have blocked out a lot of what happened during that time period. And so I think the book is going to be a real eye opener for people who you know, may have a vague understanding of what was happening, but can finally see past the headlines. Understood. Um, give us one teaser. Um, well, I talk, you know, the, the book is really cut in two halves, right? There's the COVID half of the book, which really delves into all of what I just described. And then sort of the second half of the book, which was the downfall of the administration and this, you know, the Me Too scandal, which in my view was completely orchestrated and, um, you know, convoluted and sort of stirred up by the press corps and some political extremists on both sides. Um, But, you know, for people who really want to hear the truth, who only ever saw the headlines behind what happened with the with the governor's undoing and the administration's undoing, you know, I was on Bill Maher on Friday night and he had said, I've never done a deep dive into this. I only ever saw the headlines, the number 11. And he read my book and did a deep dive and he was shocked to come away with what actually happened in that investigation and that when you actually look past that number, you learn that, you know, these 11 allegations were things like a kiss on the cheek, putting your hand on someone's waist for a photograph, calling someone sweetheart, you know, like putting their hands on a face at a wedding. And, you know, I think it's really important for Americans to understand what happened here because that report overturned a government and particularly here in New York, you know, sort of what we've been left with in its aftermath. So I think it's a way to hold the press accountable. I think that it I think it will bring a lot of things to light that people were unaware of. And I think that, you know, we should all care about what happened during those two years. Number one, because there will be another pandemic. So we have to learn the lessons of the first one. And number two, because the government was overturned. And we as the public and voters and New Yorkers should care about what actually happened there. So I think people will find it fascinating and the, and the revelations, you know, eye-popping. Well, Melissa DeRosa, uh, I'm starting to read the book this weekend because uh, I'm taking the weekend off, uh, and I look forward to it, and uh, God bless. And I'm going to have a, a book party for you, too, and uh, let's, let's see who we can uh, wrestle up. Uh, thank you so <laughs> I much. I can't wait. And I can't wait. Thank and, you, uh, God bless you, and... Uh, God bless America, and um, we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks, Tell John. us the name of the book again. What's Left what? Unsaid, My Life at the Center of Power, Politics, and Crisis. It's in bookstores and on, on, on Amazon today. You got it. Thank you. What is today is the famous Caroline Hirsch. She's been on the New York scene forever. Runs restaurants, comedy stores, comedy shops, Caroline, I heard you have some big announcement. What's going on? We start the run of the New York 19th New York Comedy Festival all around New York City. We have about close to 150 shows and over 200 comedians all around the city this week from November 3rd through next Sunday the 12th. And on Monday night, we celebrate our 17th year of Stand Up for Heroes that we do with the Bob Woodruff Foundation at the Geffen Hall. And it's a big, big event, and we've raised, you know, way over $75 million for the Woodruff Foundation, which gives its funds to veterans from the Afghani and Iraqi war. So we're very so proud you, of our you will, So you are having the big event Monday night, and you're having comedy events all over the city. Um, 
I live in New York City in Manhattan. Where would I go if I wanted to go someplace? Well, you could go tonight and see uh, Jeff Ross at the Hard Rock Hotel, or you can go to Carnegie Hall and see Jimmy Carr, Anthony Jeselnik, Matteo Lane, Brett Goldstein, and Shane Gillis also. You can go see them all at Carnegie Hall. Then you could go see Brett Goldstein at the Beacon Theater, and then at Madison Square Garden, go see Bill Burr. Understand. And is there a website I can go to to check out what else is going on? Yes. Yes, NewYorkComedyFestival.com. Go to the website, and you'll be able to find um, something that you would want to do every night of this week. And then also look for New York's Funniest, which will also be Saturday the 11th at the Hard Rock Hotel. Carolyn Hirsch, thank you so much. I will check your website, and I will definitely go to at least one event. And, uh, and uh, let's have fun, and let's open up New York again. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, John. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.